0: Welcome back to week number three of the five-part series entitled, This is My Son. Our series began with the story of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, God the Father is audibly heard saying, This is my Son whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. Now the last sermon in our series will be on Transfiguration Sunday when God the Father will be heard saying, This is my Son whom I've chosen. Listen to Him. Last week we talked about how Jesus provides for us on His terms and in His timing. We witnessed a display of Jesus' power as He transformed water into wine and we considered the deeper meaning behind why John's Gospel refers to that miracle as the key to understanding Jesus' divinity. Now this week we're going to see another demonstration of Jesus' power, but this time in Mark's Gospel, the purpose of which is to demonstrate Jesus' authority as the Son of God. And today's sermon highlights three different responses to Jesus' authority. Now someone recently asked me, do I take the Bible literally? And my response is, yes, I take the Bible literally as literature, which means when interpreting a passage, it must be interpreted in the literary con- with its literary context and also its historical, grammatical and theological context. You see, the Bible is filled with multiple types of literary genres From history and poetry to genealogy and story, and just so much more. But the bulk of the Bible is narrative. A little over 70% of the Bible is story. And today's lesson of Jesus encountering a demon possessed man is one of the many eyewitness stories of Jesus that must be interpreted as an eyewitness story of Jesus, not an allegory, not a parable. Not a song. And I guess I share this because as we consider today's scripture lesson, there are some scary things that take place. And because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe this story is true. And I'm interpreting it as such. And here are the questions today's sermon is going to answer as serving for the points of the sermon. One How do the demons respond to Jesus' authority? Two, how do the villagers respond to Jesus' authority? And three, how does the man freed from demonic possession respond to Jesus' authority? Now, it's worth mentioning... That Jesus' authority had already been displayed on the boat ride over to the region of the Gerasenes, which is where today's lesson begins. However, something happened on the boat over to today's lesson that I think is just worth considering real quickly. So I'm going to offer you a bonus sermon point. You're welcome. How does creation respond to the authority of Jesus? Now, you should know that the passage that happens right before today's lesson is when Jesus calms the storm. The storm was raging and Jesus was fast asleep, sleeping right through it. And the disciples wake him up and they have fear and they have anger and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus stood up from his nap, likely with a little sleep in his divine eyes commanded the winds and the waves, quiet, be still. And everything was suddenly calm. Because creation does as Jesus commands. But that's not the end of that story, right? Jesus said, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. The disciples had seen Jesus' power at work, but, but never on this kind of scale. And as their voyage to the Garrison continues, we read they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, this is the Son of God. He has power over creation, and creation obeys. And I suppose the rest of that boat ride was... That kind of scary when everyone's just really quiet because they don't know what else to do or say. But they certainly didn't want to disturb Jesus again. I'm wondering if the Lord went back to sleep. So finally, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, why is this location significant? Well, because this is Jesus' first um, foray, his first mission into Gentile territory. See, Jesus didn't come only to save the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Jesus came to invite all people to become chosen. As the Apostle Paul would later write, for. Jesus chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul was writing those words to Gentile Christians. And in today's scripture lesson, we see Jesus' very first seed planted in Gentile soil. So when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And the man lived in, he lived, y'all, he lived in a graveyard. He lived there. Nobody combined him with a chain. Nothing could keep him down or tie him up because he had been chained hand and foot. But he just tore him right apart, broke iron in his hands. Nothing was strong enough and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And so night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. The man here in Mark 5 experiences a misery that does not know how to voice its pain except in loud groans and self-harm. The pain is deep. And whether it is from the torment within or the times that people tried to beat him quiet or from the times he cut himself with stones, this man was living a life of turmoil and a life without being shown any love. And sadly, he was condemned to live out his days alone amid the the decaying bones of the dead with no one to love him and no one to love And so when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees and he shouted at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now the title most high God is sometimes used in the Old Testament by Gentiles to refer to God of Israel. And that seems to be the case here and the demons within the man, are, they're trying to wheel and deal with Jesus as though they were equal. So they're invoking the name of God to try to keep the Son of God off their backs, to try to protect themselves. Because, see, the demons knew who Jesus was. So they try to employ His name and His title in a vain attempt to render the Lord ineffective. And as this change continues, the exchange continues, we begin to see a multi-layered response to Jesus from the demons. Demons which cannot be seen, but were nonetheless making themselves known through the destruction they were doing to a living being. Because that's how demons roll. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, the man replied, for we are many. Many. And then he begged Jesus again and again to send them out of the area. Now, friends, if you don't know this, the use of the word legion is significant. You see, a legion is the number in a Roman regiment. It consists of 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 cavalrymen. In other words, this isn't one demon in a human. This is an army of demons in one human. And how did the demons respond to Jesus' authority? They begged. They begged. They begged Jesus. They begged Jesus for permission to enter another living thing because they recognized his authority as the Son of God. And it's important to note that demons, as spiritual beings, are very real. And they're not going to be destroyed until the very end of the age. And that their purpose as fallen angels is to cause suffering. It's intrinsic to their nature. And until the end of the age, this is going to be operating around us. However, spiritual beings, including and especially demonic, must obey the authority of Jesus Christ. So they begged the Lord, the God of all that is seen and unseen, to just send them into something else. Send them into a living creature. And the story continues. Uh, There was a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside nearby. And the demons begged Jesus, send us into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. And what, listen, and what a village of people could not tame with chains and shackles, Jesus simply did in the nod of a head. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank and into the lake, and all 2,000 of the pigs were drowned. By the way... Jesus didn't destroy the pigs, the demons did. Pretty intense, right? I mean, I know up at this point in the sermon, it's been intense. We've been considering a a true story of Jesus where the Lord encounters a man that's possessed. And not just by a demon, but by potentially thousands of demons. Can you imagine Yet, when I consider the response of the pigs that are demon-possessed, which are led to a mass grave by the demons, as an honest confession, as a good old boy from northeastern Tennessee, I can only think, oh Lord, not the baker's. Not the sausage, not the biscuits and gravy, oh Lord. Lord, not the spiral sliced ham, not the pork chops, especially the barbecue ones, they're so good, oh Lord, not the bacon. Now from a Jewish perspective, the scene's kind of a joke. Unclean spirits and unclean animals are both wiped out in fell swoop. And a human being is cleansed. And of course all your pastor can think about is, oh Lord, not the bacon. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town in the countryside. And the people came out to see what happened. And how do the villagers respond to Jesus' authority? When they came out and they saw that fellow who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right minds, they were afraid, you think? And those who had seen what took place told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and then he told them about the pigs as well. And then the people the people began to plead with Jesus, leave. Because apparently the villagers also thought, oh Lord, not the bacon." And here's why, because the amount of revenue lost by the death of those pigs would have been substantial. Now, I'm no pig farmer, I'm just a connoisseur. But according to Google, which as we know, can answer most seriously scholarly questions, the average market price for a whole pig is about 350 a pound. Now, if the average pig is 250 a pound, 250 pounds, and that would equal about $875 a pig. And if this was the case, you multiply that by 2,000 pigs, then what has just happened is $1.75 million has just been lost. $1.75 million has just been lost. They weren't saying not the bacon, they were saying not all that money. They didn't care about the miracle. They didn't care about the man's healing. They didn't care about his restoration. They only cared about the bacon. They only cared about the money. Now the older I get, the more I have observed that Jesus often goes where he's not thought about nor wanted. But I've also noticed that Jesus never stays where he's not wanted. Instead of giving Jesus the key to the city, the village gives him the cold shoulder. Dude, please go back to the other side of the lake. And Jesus consented to their pleading. And he made his way back to the boat. So how does the man, freed from demonic possession, respond to Jesus' authority? Whilst Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed Begged to go with him. Now don't notice how... If you've noticed how much begging is going on in this story. Jesus was begged by the demons to let them stay in the country and go into the pigs. Jesus consented. He was begged by the people. Leave our country. Jesus consented. Jesus was now being begged by the man that he saved. His new disciple to allow him to follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't consent. He grants the first two requests but not his new disciples' request. Instead, Jesus gave the man an assignment, and the man accepted it. Because this whole thing is based off our free will. Jesus gave him the assignment. He said, Jesus did not let him. He said, go. Go to your home and your family. Go to your home and your family. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. Go. So the man went away and he began to tell the Decapolis. How much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Y'all ever had a teacher or a a parent or or a boss? You ever had one of them... And you told them what you wanted your assignment to be. You know, I've been doing that since I was in elementary school. I still can't seem to stop doing that. And it never bodes so well for me. How'd it work out for you when you tried it? The assignment of Jesus to the cleansed demoniac was was not about what the new disciple wanted to do. No, no, it's not about what he wanted to do anymore. See, that's the whole, that's his whole kingdom of God thing. It's not about you. Once you've given your life to Jesus, it's no longer about you. It's about what the master wants for you. The man now belonged to the kingdom of God, and as such, he received his assignment from Jesus. He didn't get Jesus the assignment. He received it. Jesus said, go and tell your family, go tell your town. Go and tell anyone who will listen about the miracle that you have just received. Show them what has happened to you and tell them what it means. It means mercy from the one who made all things seen and unseen. It means power from the one who created the heavens and the earth. It means healing from the greatest physician of physicians. And Jesus now casts his kingdom seed into the new soil of Gentiles. The man did as he was assigned. He he went to the Decapolis, uh, which by the way is a collection of ten Greco-Roman cities that were filled primarily with Gentiles. He went there and he cast the first Jesus seed into Gentile territory. But it began in his home. He began in his home. If you, like me, are a follower of Jesus, then at some point along the way, you willingly surrendered to Jesus' authority. But I wonder, how are you doing with your assignment? How's that assignment going? Perhaps you're doing great at home. But your witness outside of the house could use some work. Or if you're like me, the people you love most in this world sometimes see the very least of your Jesus. I suppose that's why Jesus' assignment for the man was to go to his home and his family first. So whether or not you need to improve upon your assignment in the home or or outside of the home, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong by loving one another, by honoring one another, by praying for one another. Because if you do this, every sphere and everyone in your sphere of influence will know what the Lord has done. They will know what the Lord is doing for you, in you, and through you. And that's the point. Jesus doesn't just have authority. He's got the power to back it up. And when we give our lives to him, his power will help us accomplish any assignment he gives us. So may the Lord bless and keep you as you seek to go into your home and your places of business and into the world and tell them of the good news of Jesus' healing and mercy and grace in your lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.